Well, hi, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Marco Presbyterian Church, and we're so grateful that you've landed here. We intend for this content to be used in conjunction with a local church that you belong to so that you might grow in the Lord. If you're not connected to a church, please connect here to Marco Presbyterian Church. And if you're blessed by this content, consider giving to Marco Church. We love you and we want you to be blessed. We hope that this brings hope to your heart. And we, his servants, will arise and build. To go up to rebuild the house of the Lord. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. The hand of my God that had been upon me for good. Spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. And he listened to our entreaty. But our God has not forsaken us, has not forsaken us, has not forsaken us, has not forsaken us, has not forsaken us. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Our God is still our God. God is still our God. And we are still his people. And we are still his people. It's great to see you. I miss my, my pal, my partner, my brother Steve this morning. But it's good to see you all this morning here as we are going to open the Bible and we're going to be studying the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Over the next several weeks, we'll be looking into those two historical books. And what we'll find is, in fact, repeated in the song that we just sang. I'm going to read again. This is just the first verse of the song that uh, Matt has written. It's, I can always call you father. You chose me as your child. Your word is always faithful. You will not turn aside. Now I live in full assurance, for my Savior paid the price. Every promise that you made me is yes in Jesus Christ. God is still our God, and we are still his people. And this message we will see throughout not only the historical books, but specifically Ezra and Nehemiah. You might ask the question, well, why are we going to study these randomly, random, you might think, books, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're in the Old Testament about a people who were many millennia ago uh, unfaithful and then blessed by the Lord. Well, I, I think that Matt's song actually helps us to get at it. Faithful, you are faithful to your promises. We will trust in what the cross has said through the ages. Hallelujah, you are faithful to your promises. What, what you could think of maybe right now is just different ways that you might feel like your life needs to be rebuilt. Maybe you feel like your country needs to, to be rebuilt. Maybe you feel like your church needs to be rebuilt, your, your family or your island, or maybe your house literally needs to be rebuilt. What, what we will find in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah is that God is still our God and we are still his people, and he will rebuild because he will be faithful to his promises, particularly to those whom he loves, those whom he calls his remnant, his people. And uh, there are a lot of very very common Bible verses that you've probably heard, but I want to help us set them in context today because the people of Israel were in the same moment 
faithful and amazing and God did great things through them and then maybe even the same moment or the next moment the same people were unfaithful and totally against God's words and commands and one of those places is explained in Jeremiah where he says in Jeremiah chapter 25 Jeremiah was a prophet to the people of Israel at the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah just before the, uh, the exile, the captivity, says, you've neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent you to his servants, the prophets, saying, turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them. But what did they do? They served and worshiped them. And so this is what he says in Jeremiah 25, 11, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So this is just before the exile, and guess what ended up happening? The people of God were unfaithful. They didn't listen. They didn't incline their ear toward the Lord. And in fact, they worshiped other gods, and they were conquered by Babylon. And so this is the text. Most of you have probably heard this verse it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many have heard this text? Jeremiah 29, 11. There are plans that I have for you that are for your welfare, not your evil, or your good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, guess what Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, which is Israel. And then he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, God has been working throughout history for eternity, and he will continue to work. He's still our God, and we're still his people. And what we, get, what we do, what we gain when we place ourselves in the story of God is the perspective, the better understanding of who God is and how he, in fact, treats you and me today. What do you need rebuilt in your life? What do you feel like needs restoration? Because if you're a person living in this world, there's something that needs to be rebuilt. God is still our God and we're still his people and he will be faithful to rebuild. And so let me read before you stand. We're going to stand here in a moment and read the beginning of Ezra, but you should know that Second Chronicles, which is another historical book, I know that you're reading these books um, just before you go to bed at night, Second Chronicles is one of those. It's very good. It's history. Um, who's a history buff? You guys, any, any of you love history? I, in fact, love reading history. It's fun for me to know. I know some of you do, and you won't admit it. You're thinking about it right now. Man, maybe I should read some more history. Well, what happens when you read the history in the Bible is that you're better able to place yourself in the story because you better understand what God has done throughout the ages the very end of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, is in fact an exact mirror of the text we're going to read today. And what that does is it helps us place it in the story. This is the year 538 B.C., about 540 years before Jesus. And so let's stand up. We'll read Ezra. We are going to read chapter 1. Don't worry. It's not that long. It's fine. And it's good, solid history. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit 
of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is what he said. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all the people were about them, aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods, Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this was the number of them. These are the actual numbers listed, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Please be seated, and I'll pray for us. This is God's word, and we're going to pray that he opens it up so that we might understand him and know him better. God, we're, we're so grateful that we can read your word freely this morning. We pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would help us to see you more clearly, that you are the rebuilder. You're the one who will always be our God, and we are your people. We pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds now to see you, to hear you, and to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, what we're finding out in these historical books is um, a, a whole bunch of great things that help us to better understand not only God himself, but the whole world. And so I'm, I want to lay out for us just three quick principles that we can get, even just from the history that we've seen already and read, three quick principles that you can see. Number one, all history is God's history. All history is God's history. You see, from the very beginning, God is the one who rules over history. It's his story. C.S. Lewis says it like this. You see, him, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. All history is God's history. We've wrestled throughout history to try to replace God or find something that will fill that need but in fact, the truth is that all history is God's history. He's over all of it. And so don't be deceived and forget God's sovereignty. Don't, don't, don't be deceived and forget that he's over all things. All history is God's history. The second principle that we can see from Scripture is that all kings serve under God's rule. In fact, we've read uh, time and again the different beauties of the gospel, one of them we see is in fact that God is not only the, the God of all history, but he's also the king over all kings. We've seen it time and again where God in fact stirs the heart of the king or moves the king to do something specific. And he does this in uh, Proverbs chapter 21. 
I'm so grateful for this text. I've read it many times over the years. No matter who is president or who is my boss or who is the, the leader in another world, another land, it says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Isn't that a great verse? It helps us to remember that God is the God over all kings. History, all of history is, is God's history. And every king serves underneath God the king. And in fact, we see in our text today that Cyrus is, is actually moved. He's stirred. By who? By God. By God himself. In fact, Cyrus says, God has given me the joy, the task of rebuilding the temple. All of history is, is God's history. All kings serve under God's rule. So don't be deceived and forget God's sovereignty. So these principles have some practical uh, implications for us even today. If God is the God of all history and if he is the king over all leaders, what does that mean for our presidents, for our bosses, for um, your parents or the people that have been put in authority over you. It means that God is still God and you're still his people. Don't be deceived and forget that God is sovereign. Third principle that we can gain uh, from this, even from this chapter that we just read, is that all possessions are God's possessions. Psalm 24.1, I'd highly recommend a podcast that I listen to almost every day. It's called The World and Everything in It. And it was inspired by this text. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein. You see, God is the God of, of all history. He is the, the one under whom all kings rule. And all possessions are his. Everything is his. We saw in Ezra chapter 1 that Nebuchadnezzar gathered the, 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 the valuables of Israel and he placed them in the house of his God, Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, was a crazy man, and God stirred his heart to fulfill his purposes. So Nebuchadnezzar takes the valuables and puts them in his God's house, and what does Cyrus do? Well, God moves Cyrus to bring them all back out, and who does he give them to? He gives them to the people of Israel. He's faithful to accomplish his purposes. See, don't be deceived and forget that God is sovereign. All of history is his. All kings rule under his rule, and all possessions are, in fact, his. And these are beautiful principles that we can gain from reading the historical books. And we're placing these historical books before us, opening them up and saying, God, will you help us to understand better who you are? He's our God, and we're his people. What we're going to do is, is jump into Ezra and Nehemiah. And this is the beginning of a series that will take several weeks that will help us to see that God is the one who rebuilds. He's going to rebuild. He's going to fulfill his promises. And then we'll see each week a theme that comes out. And this one, especially in chapter one, helps us to see that no matter who's in charge, God will still be our God and we will still be his people. You can see in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, again, we think that's probably around 538 B.C., the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Cyrus was not a Christian. He's not a believer. And yet, it says here that God stirred his heart so that he would fulfill his promise. 
the promise that we read earlier in Jeremiah, that God would return the people of Israel to the land after 70 years. And so we see from uh, Ezra chapter 1 is that God honored his promises, and he in fact even proved that he's God by stirring the king, the king of the most powerful kingdom at that time in Babylon, to do his own work. You see, God's promises are sure. They're absolutely sure. You could read the bridge. You will be our God. This is the bridge of Matt's song again. You will be our God. We will be your people. You will be with us. Keep us from all evil. Every promise made is a promise kept. You are faithful to your promises. If God has promised it, he will fulfill it. He's still our God. And whatever is happening in the world doesn't change that reality. Whatever is happening circumstantially, when we look at 9-11, we just celebrated that 20th anniversary. How could you be um, a, a, an American, a United States citizen, and see the World Trade Center, the two towers falling down, and still be able to say that God is still God and we're still his people? The only way that we can do that is with his help, by putting our faith in him. Because when the world is crazy... God is still our God, and we're still his people. No matter who's in charge, no matter what the, the person over you in authority, what they think or believe, no matter who it is, God is still our God, and we're still his people. This is especially important for people who are working, but for people who are retired, who's, who's your boss? Who's the leader over you? Well, we still have governors and presidents and people who hold authority over us. And so what we want to do, what we need to do, is to remember that no matter who's in charge, God is still our God and we're still his people. But maybe you've been, maybe you've been thinking already, well, I, I maybe can assent to the idea that God is still God. Sure, if he's God. I mean, our understanding of who God is is that he's all-powerful, he, he's, he's, he's all-knowing, he's, he's able to do those things. But is he, is he my God? And, and further, if we're going to keep pressing on, if we're going into the next point because we say right now God is still our God but but that second phrase we are still his people might be more difficult for you if you look at the text in fact the it's it's pretty clear that there are people who are his the remnant the the it actually says in verse four the survivors the people of God who are still there but then there are others it says that the men of his place the people who live around says it a couple times in this text that that means that there are there are God's people and then there are others who live around them you know that we've been praying for those in Afghanistan and we continue to pray this way we pray for the believers the Christians who are either left or trying to flee Afghanistan because we know that if they're there it's going to be very difficult many by the way have chosen to remain why would they do that so that they continue to live in their homeland and talk about Jesus. But we continue to pray for those Christians, but what we also do in this church is that we pray for all of the people in Afghanistan. Why do we do that? Because God doesn't only love the Christians. God loves the world, and yet there is a distinction between the people who are believers who will one day be with him and those who are, who are not yet. And so we want to continue to pray that God would, in fact, use his people to preach his name. We want people, in fact, to bring hope to others with the truth of Jesus. So we do that. We pray that. And what we want to say is God is still our God, 
And maybe you're wrestling through whether you can say God is my God, but even more specific is, are you his people? Are you his? Are you his child? Are you his daughter? Are you his son? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Because God is always going to be God. And maybe the question for you is, is God my God? The second question, though, is we're all his people. We will be his people. Are you, in fact, able to answer that question? Am I his child or daughter? You, you may know the name Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a daughter. His, her name is Anne Graham Lotz. And she wrote a, a book, uh, a specific book, about what it means to be in My Father's House, is the name of the book, Heaven, My Father's House. But she tells the story like this, that she, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that she wrote the book was that people after 9-11, they're all looking, people are looking for answers. And they would ask Anne Graham Lotz, um, can, I, can all people go to heaven? Can all people, you know, what about the people in the towers? who in an instant had no idea but a plane crashed into their building. Or the, the firemen who ran up while people were running out. Or, or the people who were even in the plane and had no idea what was going on until it was way too late. Will God allow them into heaven? And, and Graham Lotz responds by saying this, that, you know, I, I, I tell people about my home in western North Carolina, they drive up the long drive and they get to the gate and they knock on the gate and they say, hey, Billy Graham, um, I have read your books, we've watched you on TV, we've heard you speak, and um, now we want to come to your house. Well, how's Billy Graham gonna, going to respond? Well, well, Billy Graham's going to say this, and this is Anne writing the book. My dad will say this, depart from me, I don't know you. You're not a member of my family and you've not even made any arrangements to come to my house. But then she says, but when I drive up that same driveway and I knock on the gate and I say, hey, daddy, it's Ann and I've come home. The gate is thrown wide open. I go inside and my daddy gives me a big hug. You see, because God, his house, his heaven, he's the right, he has the right to decide who comes into his house and who stays out. He says he will welcome anyone inside his home, but they have to be born again into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. He, he will rebuild, he will redeem, he will rescue, but he does that through Christ. Not through our own ignorance or even our own um, rejection. But what God does is he welcomes us into the gate. He welcomes us with wide open arms through his son Jesus by faith. And it was by faith, in fact, that God blessed his people even when they were unfaithful. And that is the beauty of our ability today to be able to say that God is still our God and I am still his child, his daughter, his son through Christ, through my faith in him. You see, his people, in fact, were unfaithful in this text, and yet what he did was he was faithful to his promises. You see, our, our faith is, is not about the, the strength of our faith, faith the ability to, to hold on so tightly that we'll never let go of our faith. No, in fact, the strength of our faith is dependent 
on his person. The strength of our faith is dependent on the object of our faith. And so even in our great weakness, even in our great unfaithfulness, we can still say, God is still our God, and we are still his people. You see, no matter who's in charge, God is still our God, and we are still his people. No matter what's happening around you, and how you feel, and how I feel, God is still our God, and we are still his people. No matter what's happening in history, and some people have said this before from the pulpit, many people think that the world is getting worse, and I want to say, sometimes in some places, yes, but I've read history, and I know that it was bad. It was terrible, not only for all people, but for Christians during different parts of history. And what we want to say, in fact, is independent of the circumstances, no matter who's in charge or what's happening, what crazy is happening in the world, God is still our God and he is still, we are still his people. You see, no matter who the president, no matter who your boss, no matter even who your parents, no matter who's in charge, God will rebuild. You see, we've had a, a season where we've had to, to, to meet over here and worship, even beginning with a funeral. We had to have a funeral over here because of a fire. Those are not great circumstances. We would not have chosen them. And we did not, we definitely don't want to equate rebuilding our worship center with God rebuilding his temple in Israel uh, 2,500 years ago. But what we, what we can say are the simple principles that we started with. All of history is God's history. All kings, and you can add, all presidents and governors and wherever else you want to go, they rule under the sovereignty of God's rule. And all possessions are his. And so when we believe that, when we trust that, we can continue to say that God is still our God and we are still his people. By faith in Christ, we can continue to be his people in this very place. An amazing text in Zechariah who was a contemporary. Zechariah is a prophet in the Bible and he was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. He, he gives an image, this prophet, of who God is and how he treats his people. He says it like this. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. This was his promise to the people of Israel, and he fulfilled his promises. What are his promises to you? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. How? Through faith in Jesus alone. Not because you came to church or read your Bible every day or did good things, not because I was a great dude, but rather how are these promises fulfilled? Just like the song we sang, they're made yes in Christ. Will you, in fact, say yes to Christ? Will you make God your God? And will you be his child today? We're about to sing this song. Uh, many of you know it. It's Come Now Fount. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my most requested. I love it. Maybe you know the third verse, at least the third verse that we sing. It's called, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be, but let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. As I'm prone to wander, 
Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God is still our God. And we are still his people in Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we're grateful that we can, in fact, read your word freely in this place. And we pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. That we would read your word, that we would know the story and where we sit in it. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives. That we would, in fact, say, you're our God. And we're your people. And we want to be your people in this place to bring hope to others with the truth of Jesus. We pray that we would be like the many throughout history who have leaned on you despite the circumstances. No matter who's in charge, Father, we see that you're still our God and we're still your people. Would you be glorified now as we even sing this song? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song, sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of thy redeeming love let's stand together let's sing this here I raise my Ebenezer here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I've come And I hope that I will Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God He to rescue me from
It's been a privilege to worship with you this morning. A couple quick things. If you're new to us this morning, we have a gift for you at the back table. We'd love to give you uh, some gifts. We also do have other items if you're not new or if you are new and you want to buy a t-shirt or other things that you can take from the church to help bring hope to people with the truth of Jesus. That's what we want to do is spread the word of hope. And uh, once again, I just want to uh, encourage you to, if you use iTunes, especially you can download and play Matt's new album as he heads to sing this afternoon. The more that it gets played, the better, not just for him, but for the church in general. And uh, you can find that uh, through all the other different uh, music apps as well. I don't even know what those are. What are they? Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. All kinds of things. There's a lot of them. All over the place. But we want to continue to pray for Matt and Lauren as they go this week to sing uh, with our other folks who are up there even right now. So let's support Matt in this, and I'd love to meet you as well. So let me give you the Lord's benediction from Numbers chapter 6. The word countenance, which I'll read here in a moment, means sort of like his attention, turning his face, his attention toward us, and that's what we want. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in peace.